Welcome to Friends in Fiction, five best-selling authors, endless stories. Friends in Fiction is a podcast with five best-selling novelists whose common love of reading, writing, and independent bookstores bound them together with chats, author interviews, and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing. These friends discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place. Best-selling novelists Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, Patty Callahan Henry, and Mary Alice Monroe are five longtime friends with more than 80 published books to their credit. At the start of the pandemic, they got together for a virtual happy hour to talk about their books, their favorite bookstores, writing, reading, and publishing in this new uncharted territory. They're still talking, and they've added fascinating discussions with other best-selling novelists. So join them live on their Friends and Fiction Facebook group page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, or listen and view later at your leisure. Hi, everybody. Welcome. This is Friends and Fiction, and it wouldn't be Wednesday night in Friends and Fiction if we weren't having some technical difficulties. <laughs> So we do. We're waiting on our guest, Kristen Hanna, to beam in, and hopefully that's going to happen. Um, just to catch you up, we're five best-selling novelists, and our common love of reading, writing, and independent bookstores bound us together. So with chats and author interviews and fascinating insider talk about publishing and writing, we, and wine, don't forget the wine, that's, <laughs> that's what we call a social lubricant. <laughs> the books we're writing and reading and the art of storytelling so if you love books and you're curious about the writing world you are in the right place the exact right <laughs> so we're going to go around and introduce ourselves to you in case you're new here or in case you're old like me and you forget so i am mary Kay andrews my latest book is hello summer Hi, I'm Mary Alice Monroe. Here. Can you Yay. hear me? Here. I'm Mary Alice Monroe, and my recent book is on Ocean Boulevard. Welcome, everybody. I am Patty Callahan and Patty Callahan Henry, and my latest contemporary is The Favorite Daughter, and my latest historical is Becoming Mrs. Lewis, The Improbable Love Story of C.S. Lewis and Joy Davidman. I'm Christy Woodson Harvey, and my latest oh. book is Feels Like Falling. And I I'm Kristen Harmel, author of uh, the I'm upcoming The Book of Lost Names. You guys out there in Friends in Fiction Land, this is like the real behind the scenes, like, no. this is how it happens. This is how we create the magic, everybody. I know. This is not, I mean, we're all, we're, we're all authors. We're not tech. And, but, but we're so excited you all are here and that you've come to join us. And we're so excited Kristen Hannah's here. And we're going to get our questions to her. So don't worry. Okay, she can hear us through my phone. <laughs> so tonight, you probably noticed there's six of us, and we're supposed to be diving into the summer season with our very favorite author and a good friend, the wonderful, amazing Kristen Hanna. I know you're all familiar with Kristen already. She's the author of more than 20 The runaway bestseller. Mute yourself unless you're International. You're the Nightingale. You are playing with fire here, Patty. <laughs> yeah, we are. 
Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm so excited to have you. It's nice to meet you guys, Christy, Kristen. You too, Kristen. And Kristen, I don't think I've seen you in 25 years in person. I know. We were both babies. It's nice to see you again. (laughs) It is nice to see you. So just let me pause and say tonight our featured bookseller, Liberty Bay Books in Washington State, Kristen's favorite stores, and we'll be telling you a little bit more about them later tonight. But for now, just know that you can buy any of our new releases from Liberty Bay Books, and they're already marked at 10% off. And the link will be posted on our Friends in Fiction page. And um, somebody tonight is going to win a $40 gift card from Friends in Fiction from Liberty Bay Books. And we'll talk to a little bit more about that. Okay, Kristen, now that you're with us, you know, we started thing because we got together for pandemic and cocktail out. How have you been spending the last few months in lockdown? Um, it's just been really difficult for everybody. You know, I mean, Patty and I have talked about this a bit, just being so far away from my kids, my grandkids. I was very lucky that for a lot of this, I was finishing up my book that's coming out in 2021, The Four Winds. But since I finished that book, I've been at a little loose end. So I kind of start looking for cocktail hour to start about 4.30 and just, you know, <laughs> hope for the best. Maybe you could work on my next book for me. I could use some help. I mean, you're not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to start asking with questions. And I get to ask the first one because I'm the hostess. So, Kristen, here's what I've been thinking about. Your most recent books seem to be this big sweeping saga. Is that deliberate on your part? Do you just need a broader frame to, in which to tell your stories? Well, you know, I've been doing it, obviously, for a long, long time. And I think more it's just been an evolution more than anything else of, you know, I started out telling love stories primarily. And I did that for, I guess, about, I don't know, 15 years, about every seven years, I seem to reinvent myself. (laughs) And I just came to a place where I wanted to tell a, a bigger story than I ever had before. And one thing about being in first coming from romance and then moving into women's fiction, it's really hard to be given a chance to break out because you're a woman writing women's stories for women and they like to package you in a certain way and promote you in a certain way. And I just got to a point in my career or an age, I guess, where I wanted to see if it was possible to to break that mold and do something else. And that's really where the Nightingale came from. Amazing. And I follow up on that question. We all have questions, but mine is, it fits there. It does take courage to make that choice. And I'm sure people warned you against it or told you the timing was wrong. Um, And even when you made the choice to write The Nightingale, one of the things that I thought was so interesting is with the great success of that book, you went in another direction with The Great Alone, which blew me away, by the way. And 
I just was curious about the process of a people telling you, don't do it. It's not time. That courage of that choice, but also what leads you to make the choice for the next story that it, what, what is that inspiring spark? So it was all very, very deliberate and very, very conscious, you know, sort of that evolution. And I had from the very beginning of my romance career, been told that what I wanted to do wasn't going to work. Uh, I didn't write fast enough. I didn't write the kind of stories that were going to work in that format. And I was fortunate in the early days to be with a really great editor at Valentine who allowed me to sort of push the envelope a little bit on those things. You know, so I started in historical. When I first went to a contemporary romance, I was, you know, warned against it. When I first went to women's fiction, I was warned against it. When I decided to write books on spec, which I've done a lot throughout my career, I was always warned against it. So someone saying, hey, don't do this, that just tells me I'm on the right track if I <laughs> believe in it. I love it. So, I love and it. once you're in, though, you have to be all in. So, yeah. like, for example, when I started The Nightingale and went, you know, full historical for the first time, I was coming off books that had been number one on the Times very recently. So I had just just gotten to number one. And, you know, there was a lot of conversation about maybe this isn't the best time <laughs> to push all that aside. But I truly believed that it was the only way for me to actually sell more books than I was selling, because I had sort of reached a place in women's fiction where I felt that I was as big as I could get. And that the only way to change that paradigm was to write something else and to risk starting over. And I made a very conscious decision not to package it to my previous readers, not to sell it, to just do a clean break. Mm. Um, I was lucky, I think, that a lot of them followed me anyway, but I was prepared to lose readers. I had to be, you know. So that was like the easiest of the decisions. And then, in the year between sort of the Nightingale being submitted to my publisher and it coming out in the stores, actually, it was almost 18 months. Um, I started to get this sense that the book was going to be successful. You know, people were reading it and they were telling my editor and my agent, oh, this is a good book. And that's when I think for the first time in my career, I got really scared. I yeah. thought, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> what if it actually works, then what, you know, because I didn't have a follow up book. I, I hadn't like plotted out a career following that. So everyone said, you know, you need to write another World War Two book and solidify your audience. And my fear was that if I wrote another World War Two book, I would never write anything except a World War Two book. Yes. And so I decided to to write a book that I thought could not be compared to The Nightingale. I was prepared and I think even embraced the idea that the second book by definition would fail, that it absolutely had to. The Nightingale's once in a, a lifetime kind of book. So I knew whatever I did, it was going to be less successful. 
So I just embraced that. And I decided to write a, a 70s, you know, book about domestic violence with kind of a thriller angle. And I was shocked that as many people liked it as they did. It was a very intense, yeah. um, was. you know, a very intense it book. So and I don't know, it, it kind of served as like a palate cleanser because I, I realized that ultimately it wasn't about success anymore now than it had ever been. It was always about what I wanted to write and what I wanted to read. And Boom. you take the success <laughs> when you get it and you take the failure when you get it and you just keep showing up. Yeah. Yep. That's a great answer. Thank you, Kristen. Very inspiring. <laughs> Thank you. Mary Alice, I remember when you did it with Beach House. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. No one wanted to read about turtles. That's all I heard. <laughs> <laughs> they were wrong look, about look that. Where we are but, now. you know, someone who's been in the business as long as you, and we both started out with the same roots, it's really beautiful to see your courage of your choices. And I admire it very much. Oh, Christy, do you have a question? Yes. So speaking of, you know, your writing and making changes and bold, courageous choices, is there anything that you can tell us about the four winds? Because, of course, we're all dying to know a little more about it. And we know that all the friends and fiction listeners are, too. Yes. Interestingly enough, I sort of did it again. I decided to kind of reinvent again. And this is um, a big depression era book oh. about one woman's sort of struggle to keep her family together and to survive. And it's interesting. I was talking to Patty when I was on book tour about this. It never, I mean, I wrote it to be relevant because there's an issue of immigration and there's, you know, issues about environmental and climate change and the things that are, you know, were in conversation three years ago when I started this. But this whole pandemic has sort of changed how I feel about the book. and. It just ends up being right now really, really relevant. And mm. it, it actually gives me a lot of hope right now because it reminds me of uh, sort of the strength and durability of humans and the human spirit and the ability mm. that we have to rise above these terrible times and not only survive ultimately, but thrive. Mm. And so, you know, my hope is obviously that, that we can all come together a little bit more than we have and sort of look to the past and, and learn from it. Yeah. Very timely. Very timely. Yeah, the, the book sounds wonderful. So Kristen, I just have to start off by saying, well, A, if I had a nickel for every time someone's like, oh, I left your book, The Nightingale. I'm like the other Kristen with an H. <laughs> but up to me. <laughs> I would just um, take the credit. I would just No, I never know what to say. Like, thanks. I loved it too. It was a great book. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I also have to say, I write about World War II, and my first World War II novel was in 2012. It was set in World War II Paris. And it wasn't really a thing people were doing yet. So I have to say thank you so much for opening up this genre that I love to write in. I, I think you gave it a place 
in the conversation and in, you know, what people are loving. And so as someone who writes in that genre, I just owe you a huge set of gratitude. So thank you for that. <laughs> but I, my question tonight is, so for me, one of the hardest things, particularly just coming from a, a journalism background where I want to get everything right, is the idea of not just getting the big details right, but getting all the little details right too. And you do that so beautifully in The Nightingale. And again, in The Great Alone, which I just thought was such an incredible book, you evoke the setting and the time period so perfectly using details just expertly. Can you talk a little bit about how you do your research and how you use that to give your readers such a sense of, you know, time and place and authenticity? Thank you so much. That's, I mean, I don't really feel that I opened anything up, but I think that what the Nightingale and All the Light We Cannot See and, you know, several of the books that just happened to sort of arise at that moment just, I think, reminded people how much they love this era and how many stories there are. I mean, it's amazing to me how many remarkable stories there are. And so I guess thank you. And as far as the details, you know, it's basically just, I mean, you guys all know it. We've all been doing it for years. It's, it's picking the detail that speaks to you. And the, I would say the biggest thing that I've learned from the Nightingale and from the Four Winds that has been difficult, that has been it, this transition from um, what I used to write to what I'm writing now, is the difficulty in writing a historical novel that tries to get the details right and tries to get the issues right and, you know, tries to have something to say historically, but is still first and foremost a novel about characters, about women, about sisters, about friendship, because I find that when I've got a really big historical canvas and a lot of facts to deal with, you almost do stand in characters for a long time. It takes a long time yeah. to remember that, that you're still a novelist writing about characters, not right, a historical right, right. novelist. So true. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, much so. yeah great yeah. answer. Yeah. Patty, did you already ask a question? I've lost track. I've been drinking. No, no. So, Kristen, <laughs> it's so good to see you. We had such a good time talking about, you know, switching genres, what it means, using the details. And yet, when we were together, I wanted to ask this question, but the audience had so many questions. So many of your sweeping sagas are about survival, right? In the face of great tragedy or hardship, they're about women, they're about friendship, they're about sisterhood. And there's this quote in an Elizabeth Strout novel. It's called, My Name is Lucy Barton. Have you read that? Yes. No. Okay. Well, she writes about writers. She says, you will only have one story and you'll write your one story many ways. Don't ever worry about story. You only have one. And I remember us talking and I jokingly said, oh, I know, you know, I know you don't write from theme. And you said, oh, yes, I do. So I wonder if that's true, that we have kind of one story and we just tell it in different ways. What do you Question. think? Oh. Huh. Uh, <laughs> wow. You know, that kind of uh, it kind of leaves me speechless because I'm torn right down the middle with yes, because we all have 
things to say that we feel intrinsically are important and matter. And, you know, no matter what you begin with, certain themes and ideas and characters reappear in your books over and over and over. And I personally am a very commercial, very mythic um, kind of person in, in movies and in books and everything. So I like they're about survival because the stakes are so big and because that's something I think that we all share. But do I think I have one story? Um, I mean, I hope not. I hope that we all can change and grow. And, you know, although I can tell you, you know, I want to write a YA fantasy someday. It'll probably still feel like me. So who knows? No, I just think it's such an interesting idea because I think we return as writers to the same themes kind of over and over. But I'm not positive we return to the same story over and over. But I just think it's it made me look at my own work and everybody else's work and say, what do we touch on every time we write this story? I mean, I guess it depends on how you define story. You know, is story plot is story theme is story arc is story character i mean i'll tell you what if i've been writing the same story for 25 years i should be better at it and i should not be making the mistakes i, I agree make, so. you know i agree you know you i think we do have um maybe theme is probably the better word than story that we something that it, it, it comes through our stories, no matter what setting, what plot we have. And I think that's the voice of the author. You know, it's how can we not bring that out in our stories if it's something we believe in truly? So I think when we read your book, Kristen, or certainly I think all of ours, you like to think that you can read a few pages and say, ah, yeah, that's Kristen's book. Yeah. Oh, ah, yes, that's Patty's voice. It's It's the voice. Yeah, yeah. I, that's actually what I was thinking afterwards, because that's the question that I get. You guys probably all get it most from beginning authors, beginning writers is where's my voice? What's my voice? How do I develop my voice? And you think in the beginning that voice is about how you write. And as you get older and you do this more and more, you understand that that voice is how you see the world and it's, it's the message that you're giving. And, and that is um, certainly recurring in most of us because the voice is so fundamental to who we are. To who we are. You're right. Thank you. I think it's the hardest thing to find in the beginning. Yeah. You you emulate and you emulate and then you have to find your own. Okay, this is all great stuff. Kristen, thanks for thinking about all that stuff. Um, we want to remind you about supporting your local booksellers. It's a tough time for locally owned independent businesses everywhere. And we always encourage people to shop small. Um, but if you love books, all of us can do some good in the world by lending support to booksellers who are working really hard to stay in business. It's a good deed. Same time, you get great new books to read. You get to keep the literary community thriving. I know I called um, Liberty Bay Books today just to make sure we were all set up for tonight. And they told me that they have just opened their doors, which is great news. Yay! Yes. So if you're interested in getting any of our books tonight, uh, Hello Summer, that's mine. Mary Alice is on Ocean Boulevard. 
Christie's Feel Like Falling, Patty's Becoming Mrs. Lewis, Kristen Harmel's The Book of Lost Names, or Kristen Hanna's The Great Alone, or The Nightingale, take advantage of the 10% discount that Liberty Bay Books is offering. You don't need a coupon code. Go to our Friends and Fiction page and find the link to the store. And tonight, by the way, we marked a big uh, milestone tonight. We passed the 4,000 followers mark. So who was going to pick the winner of the 4,000 follower thing? It's just drawn randomly from one person um, who is in the group of 4,000 followers. So, you know, whenever we hit a milestone, we want to reward everybody who's been with us all along. So it's somebody who's been with us. And we want to remind you to join our Friends in Fiction group on Facebook. If you're not a member already, please do that. You get all the links we remember you mentioned tonight. And we're going to be giving more giveaways. So we have asked, it's been our turn to ask questions. And we want you all to do the same thing. And we've chosen two questions that have been submitted on the website. We want Kristen to answer. So first off, Diane Kuhn-McGoldrick is asking, I think Kristen Hanna. And by the way, we have an embargo on K names after this. I know. This I is it. No more Christians, <laughs> Christians, and Christians. We need a couple more Marys here. We're all KH. It's <laughs> weird. Okay. We're all KH. I mean, it's really funny. It really is. No more. No, this is it for us. Anyway, um, <laughs> um, wants to know, and this one I think is for Chris and Hannah. Do you typically have just a single story in your head when you're writing? Or are there often other stories in your head that are brewing and you put them on the back burner while you're working on the book at hand? Not only do I only have one while I'm working, I am hard pressed to find a second one when I need it. I am not one of those authors who like collects stories or thinks about, you know, in fact, I'm right now, you know, I've worked for three years on The Four Winds and I'm done now and it's time to, to write another book. And I literally have zero ideas. So if anybody wants to send one in, just let me know because I'm desperately looking. Oh, you may have opened a flood. I know you don't know what you're asking. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> Maybe. Well, it worked for Lisa Weekend. I mean, I just was interviewing Lisa and the woman that, you know, sent in the idea and said you should write a story about you know, these lost friends ads. So you never know. You could find a diamond out there. Well, and she had just finished another book and was handing it in. (laughs) Okay, so um, Kristen. Oh, another Kristen. Yet another Kristen. Okay, Kristen Ridgeway Burgett. Oh, another Kristen. That's so funny. (laughs) He wants to know which characters from your books are most like you. Kristen, Hannah, can you answer that briefly? And then the others, maybe some of us will take a crack at that too. Sure. The character that is most like me consistently and the book that is most like my life is Firefly Lane. Ah. And I was Kate, not Tully. I was, you know, the at-home mom. Ah. Um, I I don't know if there's a character who's the most like me. I can tell you who the character I wish was the most like me. And that's Joy Davidman. In, in Mrs. Lewis, but I don't know if there's a character. How about y'all? It changes over the years. I think I would have said in the Beach House, I was I loved Lovey, but she was more my mother. But I I, I wanted to be like her. 
I wasn't sure. (laughs) But I think now I'm more the daughter because I've been with her for 15, 18 years and I've grown up with her. And so she's more like me and she's becoming the matriarch. So I, I get her. But is she really me? I don't, I think all my characters are a little bit like me, except the villains. No villains. <laughs> I think it's interesting because I find that just like you said, Mary Alice, I think every character is a little bit us. I mean, it's you have to get inside the head of your character, right? To be able to write them and write them with compassion and understanding. But I, I find I understand myself better with each new character I write. It, it's like it's almost like you're forced to do a little bit of a deep dive into an emotional side of yourself that you might not have otherwise considered. So I sort of look at my writing career as just a whole lot of free therapy. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true. I always say we're pretend psychoanalysts. But we psychoanalyze ourselves. I mean, we have to in order to get those characters out on the page. I I feel like at least. Christy, what about, can you? um... um, I kind of agree with Mary Alice and that I feel like I put a little piece of myself into all of my characters. Um, Funnily enough, like for Feels Like Falling, I wrote it in 2016 and now, you know, it's out in 2020. And so I had a four-year-old when I was writing it, but Gray in the story has an eight-year-old son and she has like a blog that she like parlayed into a business kind of like I do. So of course everyone's like, oh, you're Gray, you're Gray. Um, And then I also get a lot of, oh, you're Caroline in the Peachtree Bluff series, which is a little bit offensive because she is a little snarky, but... She's like the character. She's like the one that's like that friend that you have that just says whatever they think. And you're like a little jealous of that because you're like, I wish I could just say whatever I thought and like not care. And I cannot do that. I am like such a people pleaser. Um, But I do get some of the comparison. But when I was writing Peachtree Bluff, I strangely sort of like Mary Alice was saying, really related to Ansley, who is the mother of these three granddaughters, because she's kind of in this sandwich generation where she's taking care of all these different people. And um, both of Will's parents passed away during the process of writing that series. And so we were very much in the like caring for parents, caring for children. And so even though she was, you know, several decades older than I was, I felt like I was putting so much of my current story into her story, which was sort of surprising. Yeah. I think all my characters have a little bit of my DNA. Conley Hawkins is the protagonist of my latest book, Hello Summer. And she's a newspaper reporter. And I was, you know, long ago, uh, that was my first career as a newspaper reporter. But, you know, Conley's younger. She's, she's um, more confrontational. She's uh, more aggressive. I think she probably is the me that I wish I had been. Um, mm. I think I gave, her, I gave her some superpowers that I didn't possess. And then I gave her some personal problems that I, I didn't have. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I think we gave things back and forth to each other. Okay, now are we going to take live questions? Um, Yes. While we're waiting, can I just ask Kristen, are you excited about the movies coming out? Wow. That's the big news. (laughs) Yeah, can we just just toss out that you have two movies coming out in a Netflix series, by the way? Yeah, it's pretty cool. When does The Nightingale Um, come out? Well, The Nightingale is December 21. Because of coronavirus, it got pushed back a year. Um, and I think Firefly Lane is this fall ah, awesome. on Netflix. So. That's cool. Can we have a party? Yeah, we're going to do some fun on Friends yeah. and Fiction. 
action to celebrate. We should. Can we, can we have a big party and watch it all well, together? I'm come back and visit you guys again when I can get my audio working. <laughs> Working out great. I have a a good question that I really like. So Melissa Sharpless wants to know how we come up with our character names, which I think is kind of a good question. Um, We haven't answered that before, have we? Mm -mm. You know, it's shockingly relevant, isn't it? I mean, it's like if the name isn't right, the book just doesn't go forward. A couple of times I have made mistakes and and named characters incorrectly and, you know, sort of come to a grinding halt and have to start over. So for me, I mean, I often start with baby books. I assume other people do as well. And it's really sort of a combination of ethnicity and era. And I guess just a name that that speaks to the character I think I'm trying to create. Yeah, Yeah, I rehearse names for my characters. And, you know, I have more difficulties with the men. Yeah, yeah, me too. What the women are named. But sometimes, like, I'll think to myself, okay, I need an asshole name. (laughs) uh, I'll think, oh, what about that guy that I dated, you know, back in 11th grade? But then he'll know it was him. (laughs) And I've also, I I like obituaries. I pick names out of obituaries. So on my desk, in my desk drawer, I just pulled it out. I kept all the programs for my kids' graduations. <gasps> That's <laughs> awesome. Brilliant. I know because it has first, last, you know, first, middle, and last names of, of you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millennials. So, you guys always teach me so many things. This is so smart. I mean, I'll I tell you, in Charleston, you just go to the street names because they're all named after local Charleston. <laughs> so it's easy. You know, I'll tell you something funny about, um, so the Book of Lost Names, which is my book that's coming in July, it's about document forgers. And so their whole job basically is finding names for people. Um, so so good, by the way. It's so good. I'm on like chapter three and I like, I started it like randomly in the middle of that. And I was like, put it away, Christy, put it away. You have to go write your book. Oh, I'm so so happy. I cannot wait to do it. Anyway, thank you. But you have to say that you're my friend, but thank you. No, but there it is right there, folks. I'll tell you something that the document forgers did that was interesting. There was a newspaper at the time called the Journal Officiel that was the official record of all of the official acts of the French government. So if you got married, if there was a naturalization, if somebody died, like it was all recorded in there. And that's how a lot of forged names came to be because they had to match up to official records. And so they would just pull them out of this and and they would have like, you know, they would know who they were married to or they would know when they were naturalized. Um, and so for writing the Book of Lost Names, some of the throwaway character names, just random characters who you see once, I did the same thing and pulled them from the Journal Officiel. I have a whole stack of them from 1944. So cool. That was a really fun way to get names. I'd never done that before. Yeah, That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, it was fun. Okay, so we're going to ask Kristen Hannah. Kristen, I know this is kind of off the cuff, but do you have a writing tip you want to share? We all want to pick your brain. Give us a secret. Oh, well, with you guys... <laughs> <laughs> seems um no i'm sure you have the same toolbox and kit that i have and i'm sure that you've all learned the most important thing which is the reason that we're all here because we didn't give up and we committed to to get better with every single book that we did and we supported our independent bookstores and we read and we read and we read 
And, and then I think, like we said earlier, and then at some point you decide not to be afraid, not to do what you're told, not to write what you're supposed to write, but to explore what it is that, um, that you personally have to say. So I guess that's, that's my big picture on, you know, how to keep doing this. It's relative, and it's not relatively easy. It's easier to write a book or two or three. I think the, the trick and the thing that, um, that you have to work really hard at is to have a career at this, you know, to keep doing this year after year after year as tastes change, as covers change, as stories change, as the readership changes, as you change. And so you're constantly, I think, reinventing yourself just enough to sort of stay relevant. And, and then, like I said, most importantly is never think you're good enough. I mean, I never, ever think that I am a good enough writer to pull off what I want to do. So I try something that stretches me just a little bit so that I, I guess, keep being engaged. That's beautiful. Thank you. That's yeah, really beautiful. That's great tip. Wonderful. Are you engaged or do you mean terrified? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you aren't terrified, right. I'm not sure you're writing the best book that you could be writing because it means you're not asking something of yourself that frightens you. And you don't have to be, by the way, frightened every time. You don't have to stretch yourself. I tend to do the big stretch, the fallback, the big stretch, the fallback, because you need to sort of regroup and, and understand what you've learned. But I do think it's important to be afraid a lot. Yeah. Um, you all, I hope you know that you've just heard a master class. No big money for that. Okay, honestly, beautiful. I just have to speak from my heart. That was so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. It showed a lot of wisdom and experience. Ladies, do you all have any books? We always try to give a shout out to other authors and talk about what we're reading, especially debut authors. It's tough to be a debut author during a pandemic. You don't get the kind of attention. You don't get a book tour. Most, a lot of debut authors don't get book tours at all. So, who's got a um, debut novel they want to talk about? Anybody? That's a good question. I think we were, you know what? I think this week we, we were so focused on getting up and running with like starting our website and finalizing our logo. And I think we all lost our minds with like the rest of the episode. And Mary, Mary Kay, may I just add the way you are keeping us all together tonight, despite the problems, like, I mean, you are, I'm just bowing down to you because you have kept our crazy train on the tracks. <laughs> the, secret, the secret to writing is all the same as the secret of friends and fiction. You just have to be a little terrified every week. <laughs> <laughs> and it all comes together. We're going to get it done. We're going to get it done. It's, it's like um, the, in the book, when you get to the soggy middle and you know, it's never going to work out. That's it. That's us. I do want to talk about um, a first uh, debut novel, and it's by Christine Clancy. It's called The Second Home. I haven't gotten it yet, but I'm excited about reading it. And so that's when I think that um, it sounds great, and I'm supposed to have it any minute now. Who else? Kristen, what are you reading? Kristen Hanna. Actually, I am. I'm right now. uh, I'm finally reading Rules of Civility. I loved, loved, loved. Uh, gentleman in Moscow. And so I just started Rules of Civility and I'm 
Oh, it's just beautiful. And I did want to say, Mary Kay, there's a debut novel called Ghosts of Harvard. Have you guys heard of that? Okay, it's um, oh, Now her name completely escapes it's me. Francesca anyway, uh, that's one I think people should look for that they'll really like. Francesca Saratella. She's Lisa Scalini's daughter and she's a, a friend. Oh, is she really? Oh, yeah. for heaven's sake. Scalini's daughter, Francesca Saratella, a ghost of Harvard. Okay, we're running fine. So now I have to hurry, hurry, hurry up. Thank you, Kristen, for joining us tonight. Remember, you can pick up The Great Alone along with all of our new releases at Liberty Bay, Liberty Bay Books <laughs> at 10% off. You do not need a coupon code. And that will enter you to win the $40 gift card, which we're going to give. We're going to, I apparently am going to announce the winner of that tonight. It's Ellie Bolin from Germantown, Ohio. Hello, congratulations. E-O-L-E-N, if you are, hope you're watching tonight, you win a $40 gift card uh, from Liberty Bay Books and you will contact them and they will mail your gift card to you. And so we're, I cannot believe we're almost right on time. I'm I'm never on time for anything in my whole life. Ladies, do we have any more? Wait, I think Mary Alice has something she would she would like to talk about. All right. Well, next week we have um, an author again. Um, I know Kristen, you know her. She's been around as long as we have. Debbie Maycomer. And she's she's been around forever and she's very excited to join us. And she'll be coming us next Wednesday at seven o'clock. And we'll have a wonderful time together talking. We have an amazing group of authors coming this summer. And the best part is they're friends. And I think, Kristen, it's so good to see you again, friend. And it's it's welcome and thank you for coming. Yes. Yes. Thank you. So thank you so, so much for inviting me. I'm sorry that I have provided technical difficulties (laughs) and maybe you can invite me back at the end of the summer and I will do better. (laughs) Bye, Kristen. Bye. 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 Don't forget to check in with us. We'll be on the Friends and Fiction and we'll see you next Wednesday night. Same time, same place. Bye-bye. Thanks for coming, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Friends and Fiction Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Friends and Fiction Podcast wherever you listen. And if you're enjoying it, leave a review. You can find the Friends and Fiction authors at www.friendsandfiction.com as well as on the Facebook group page, Friends and Fiction. Come back soon, okay? There are still lots of books, writing tips, interviews, publishing news, and bookstores to chat about. Goodbye. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.